Well, I wonder, um, maybe you've heard of this, maybe you haven't. If you can, in your mind, picture somebody, maybe, uh, maybe a, a friend, maybe someone you watched on TV, somebody who had their career ruined by doing something really dumb. We got a couple of yeses. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's an up-and-coming promising athlete, athlete that, that got involved in something they shouldn't have and, and threw out their career. Maybe it was, a, I mean, how many musicians and, and uh, you know, actors and actresses have we seen throw away a bunch of talent by getting involved in or be getting addicted to something or whatever that might be, right? Or just somebody who seems to be, you know, uh, have a career that's on the rise but their words, they're not wise with, and it, it, it damages a lot. And it's, it's really easy, I think, for us in our, you know, arms, often arms distance from the situation or with that 2020 hindsight to look back and say, what was that hockey player thinking? Like, what? get someone to help you with your money, whatever it might be, right? What was, what was that actor thinking when he, he invested here or whatever it might be? What was, what was that pastor thinking when he got involved with that relationship? Whatever it might be, right? What were they thinking when they spoke those words? Clearly, they had not thought that. They had not thought it through. And we can ask, what were they, what were they hoping to accomplish by that? Whether it was a statement or a or behavior, or whatever it was. What are they ultimately, when we look at their life, what were, they, what were they thinking they would get out of it? What were they putting their hope in? And then it's always important to ask ourselves the same questions, right? It's easy to pick on somebody out there and not let it come here. So, so I, it's easy to say, I don't think I would make that mistake, but I think that's pretty ignorant to say. The question is, what are, what are we trusting in? Where do I find my strength for life? Where do I find wisdom in my day-to-day dealings even? Am I trusting in a, a group of advisors? Am I trusting in my bandmates? Am I trusting in you know, the, the film studio, whatever it is? Or am I trusting in something more kind of firm? Well, we're jumping ahead a little bit this morning in our journey through Ecclesiastes. So if you have a Bible, I'll invite you to open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Uh, we're going to start at about verse 13, 14, and get all the way through chapters 9 and 10 this morning. This is a, a bit of a tricky passage. One of the first things I noted as I opened up some books to study this week was one of the authors said, this might be the hardest passage to preach in Ecclesiastes. And I was like, yes, Mondays. As we read it, it seems like it's, it's a little bit scattered. Uh, for, for much of Ecclesiastes, it's, it's kind of like he, he, uh, the teacher or Solomon says, okay, let's talk about this, and then let's talk about this, and there's, there's a bit of a flow to it. But all of a sudden here, these verses seem a little bit more like, like Proverbs, where Proverbs in some spots seems just like a shotgun of, think about this, and think about this, and think about this, and that's kind of what it seems like in this section. But once again, Solomon wants to, to teach us about wisdom. And I don't know what your headings in your Bible talk about. Sometimes those are helpful to help us kind of narrow in on what the theme of this passage is. But he wants to teach us and warn us about wisdom. Or maybe more accurately, teach us and warn us about where we look for wisdom. See, if we go to the wrong source for wisdom, what we actually find is the opposite. We find folly, foolishness. If we claim something as wisdom 
that's not actually rooted in truth and doesn't align with the grain of the universe, the way the universe was made, then that too is also folly. Now we might go to lots of places for wisdom to try to gain and gather wisdom. We go to school. We read the news. We follow (coughs) experts on social media. But what's behind all of those places? None of those things are inherently bad, I don't think. But what's behind the wisdom we're trying to get from those places? Is it just the thinking of, of our current cultural moment in this time, in this place? Or is the wisdom we are trying to pursue rooted in something deeper than that? I've been uh, reminded, and I think you've probably seen it too, again and again of just the the arrogance of our culture that thinks we in the West, in 2022, have got it all figured out. And everyone else has missed it. Right? This, This people from generations before, they just weren't enlightened enough to understand the way the world works. Even this culture in another place of the world, well, they're just backwards in their, th- whatever it might be, right? We are so often just arrogant in our own cultural moment, thinking we have it the way, have it the right way. But wisdom is what we want to chase after. Where are we getting that wisdom from? And for, for Solomon, for Ecclesiastes, and, and really for the whole Bible, I think we can define wisdom this way. Wisdom is the skill of living life in a God-honoring way. Wisdom is the skill of living life in a God-honoring way. A couple key things I want you to see there. It's a skill. Okay, this is not just a book we can pull off a shelf and read wisdom. What do we know about skills? They take work. They can be developed If you don't keep practicing something, you get worse. Some of us, if we don't ski for a few weeks or for a season, we're not as fast. Others of us, I'm not sure that affects us at all. (laughs) I was always pointing at Ian. We're on that same list. It's got to be every week or it's a disaster, right? Yeah. It's a skill. We need to to go after it. We need to be trained in it. We need to be encouraged in it. We need to work hard at developing this skill. And we need to, to, to make sure that, that, that what we're working towards is the right skills. So wisdom is the skill of living life in a God-honoring way. So when you read wisdom literature in the Bible or wisdom passages, so Ecclesiastes, the Psalms, the Proverbs, Song of Solomon, other passages, other places, These things are trying to teach us how to live in a God-honoring way. This morning in the passage we're going to be looking at, the teacher shows us the folly of misplaced wisdom, of looking at at other things for wisdom or for our strength or how to to live life. He'll show us that, that even the smallest bit of folly mixed into wisdom ruins the strength of wisdom as well. And ultimately, that what we need for living, what we need for this life, isn't found in in worldly ideas, worldly strength, worldly activity, or worldly talk, but it's found in godly wisdom. Now, it is 
really easy for us to learn to trust in the things that the world counts as important, isn't it? And, and to trust in the things that, that even our current time and place tells us are solid. But that's what we're being warned against in this passage. Our strength compared to God's strength. And that's really where I think Solomon starts here. The power we need for living, the things that we need for living, aren't found in political strength, or, or uh, political is a bit of a loaded word, so let's say cultural strength as well, but in godly wisdom. The power we need for living isn't found in our political or our cultural strength. And so he begins with the story, Ecclesiastes 9, 14. There was a small city with a few men in it, and a great king came against the city and surrounded it and built large siege works against it. Notice all the contrast, even in this little verse. The small city, few men to defend it, a great king with large siege works. Now, conventional wisdom tells us this city is in trouble, big trouble. Verse 15, but now a poor, wise man was found in the city, and he delivered the city by his wisdom, yet no one remembered that poor man. This hero, he didn't have worldly power. He didn't wield political clout. He didn't have financial resources. We're told twice he was poor, but twice that he was wise. And it's his wisdom that saved the city. We're not told the details of, of, of how he rescued the city. Uh, I think of, you know, sometimes in movies when there's, uh, you know, an action scene and they're climbing up scaffolding or whatever, all it takes is for the hero to, like, pull one pin at the bottom and the whole thing falls and we're all happy and the hero escapes or whatever it is, right? Maybe that's what, maybe that was the wisdom. They, they, they forgot to lock the pin in the bottom and they pulled and the siege works fell and the king ran away. I don't know. We're not told. And it really doesn't matter. But he had wisdom, the skill of living a God-honoring life, and that's what saved the city. Solomon uses this illustration to drive home a point from just a couple chapters ago in, in chapter 7 when he said, Wisdom makes the wise person stronger than ten rulers of a city. Our strength comes from wisdom. It wasn't the great king and his great army and his great siege works that won the day. It was wisdom. By wisdom, the city was spared. But look at the conclusion to that verse 2. Yet no one remembered the poor man. Once, once the danger had passed, once the great king had left, they forgot about wisdom. They forgot about the one who brought wisdom. I wonder how many times we've seen something like this at play in our own lives. Tragedy or calamity or struggle hits, and, and we search for wisdom. We, we, we cry out to God in the midst of something we feel like all of a sudden I can't handle myself. Even culturally, we, we search for wisdom. And let me say, you don't have to be following Jesus to exhibit godly wisdom. There's a, the, the gift of common grace. And, and in times of calamity, when we band together, that's one another's. That's a biblical concept, right? But then once the uncertainty starts to pass, we just kind of get back to normal, go back to our own way, valuing what we valued before. 
Let me see if this fits. Maybe I'm off, off the mark. Let me know what you think. In the flooding of 2013, now we weren't in Canmore yet, but we were just downstream in Calgary, and we lived on the north side of the river, just kind of up the hill. And so we could, you know, from our place, we could walk a few minutes, and we could stand on uh, Tom Campbell Hill, and we could look at downtown dark because it was empty. When the floods hit, we saw communities come together in just amazing ways, didn't we? Working together, whether it was kind of evacuating people or staff or, or sandbagging along the river or whatever it might be. We saw people caring for one another, sacrificing for one another, all of which I would suggest is wise living, living in a God-honoring way. Yet once the waters receded, lots went back to just the way it was. Okay, I can go back to praying right now. Even, even at the start of COVID, I think we saw this, didn't we? We saw communities band together. I've said it before, but there were a handful, at least a handful of amazing Facebook groups, even right here in Canmore and the Bow Valley, where people said, you know what, I can't do everything, but I can do this. Who can I help? Who can I serve in this way? And we saw people love and serve and, and care for and sacrifice for one another. Again, let me suggest, whether you're following Jesus or not, that is a wise, biblical way to live in community for one another, right? Yet as the months drag on and on and on, instead of this like passion to help one another, we longed for getting back to normal. And we, we watched it. You can see it in the way people talked, in the way the news reported things, that, that, that we slowly drifted back into that, that modern, Western, individualistic mindset. And wisdom was put back on the shelf because it seemed like the danger was under control. We'd figured this out. The teacher then draws this conclusion from the story of the, the small city against the great king. In verse 16, it says, wisdom is better than strength. This is like our saying today of, uh, like, brains are better than brawn. Wisdom is better than strength, but the wisdom of the poor man is despised. His words are not heeded. Just dripping with warning there, isn't it? Verse 17, the calm words of the wise are heeded more than the shouts of a ruler over fools. And we live in a day where the rush to produce a headline would be the first one to tweet something out, so often trumps critical thinking. And we're not going to get into examples this morning because I'm not sure that that is edifying to anyone or anything. But I bet with only a few minutes of consideration, we can all think of headlines that, that took the news cycle by storm, but then were found not to quite be true. The calm words as opposed to the shouts. The teacher continues in verse 18 Wisdom is better than the weapons of war, but one sinner, one, one bungler, destroys much good. Now, remember, the, the underlying kind of definition of sinner, it's, it's, it's not just one who does something wrong, but it's, a, it's an archery term, right? One who misses the mark is a sinner. Now, we've seen some ads, and I'm very excited about this. Down in Moose Meadows, there's an axe-throwing company that's just opened up. You can go and you 
You can throw axes, throw hatches. I think this is going to be a great way to, you know, get out a little bit of whatever, enjoy people's company. But when you walk into this room, and I've, I've seen their pictures on, on Instagram or Facebook, whatever, as they're kind of soft launching. So you walk in, there's this, you know, stall with fences that you stand in. And at the end, there's the spray-painted target, right? And the goal is, of course, well, whatever, pick up the hatchets, chuck it at the wall, and get it to stick in the heart of that target. So, Rob, if we go, and I stand in line, and I whip my axe, and it completely misses, you could rightly, in this context, point to me and say, sinner, because I missed the mark. I missed the mark. And that's what he's saying here. Wisdom is better than the weapons of war, but someone who misses the mark of wisdom destroys much good. Notice again the contrast. This, this is a, a poetic book. Right? We've got to look for these things, and when they happen, they've they got to jump out at us. One foolish person misses the mark. Much damage destroys much good. Hopefully not when we're throwing axes. But wisdom is, is vulnerable to folly. Think of some biblical examples. Three generations in a row of biblical examples. Think of David. How was, he, how was he known as? He was the king, but he was known as the man after God's own heart, right? Think of the mess he made going after Bathsheba. That folly, that foolishness, that departure from godly wisdom caused a lot of damage. Think of his son, Solomon, our author, our teacher. The wisest king ever. People came from far and wide to hear from his wisdom. We've got a, the book of Proverbs. is largely things that he said. And yet, folly. He took so many wives and concubines, and they led his heart astray. He departed from godly wisdom, and it was destructive. Think then of his son, King Rehoboam. Followed Solomon. He disregarded the wisdom of the older counselors that were around him and instead took the advice of his buddies who kind of rose to the throne with him. And what happened to the kingdom? Split. Ten of the tribes went another way and the kingdom was never united again. One bungler can destroy much good. And I'm sure we can bring to mind all kinds of modern examples, maybe even our own example, where we've been on a path, we've missed the mark, we've departed from godly wisdom, and just seen the bomb go off. Kind of get to a, a bit of a summary proverb in verse 1. Dead flies make a perfumer's oil ferment and stink. Maybe a more modern analogy would be like one one apple can ruin the whole bunch. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. I think that's a great reason why in verse 17 of chapter 9, we aim for, for calm words because brash words can cause a ton of damage. A ton of damage. See, rather than Trusting in our own strength, in our own status of, of, of who we're leading and who's listening to us and who's following us, rather than trusting in our, our political favor or our financial leverage, 
whatever that might be, the power we need for living with the example of the poor man in the town, right? It comes from godly wisdom. So we need to protect our hearts from the allure of of worldly power as opposed to wisdom. We need to, to guard our hearts against the damage of folly because from our hearts flow what? The springs of life. The second kind of major section in this text, Solomon points as well to our, to our daily lives, the things that we're doing, and warns as well that, that carelessness or folly can, can turn our daily walks upside down as well. He's kind of saying that the power we need to get through life doesn't come from our own daily walk either. And he does this by giving us four examples. We kind of quickly walk through them one by one. Jump down Ecclesiastes 10, verse 8. The one who digs a pit may fall into it. And the first time we read this, it's like, how can you fall into a pit while you're digging it, right? It's right there. Pay attention. What he's talking about, though, is in, in those days, the, a hunter would go out and they would dig a pit and they would camouflage the top and they would wait for the animal to come by and fall into that pit. Got him, right? But if they'd forgotten where they had set these traps and went out to check and maybe walked 10 feet to the right, they could easily find themselves in the bottom of their own pit. If we're careless, there's consequences. Let me ask you this. What traps have you set in your life? Or, or what traps are you aware of in your life? Something that maybe leads you down the path uh, away from godly wisdom and towards folly. Some things that you know, just if, if I start thinking this way, doing this thing, it's not going to end well. I'll fall into the pit. There will be consequences. Maybe it's, maybe it's being online too late at night. And once we're, you know, I should have been in bed two hours ago, but I'm watching another Formula One video, and this is exciting, and the season starts today. And, and then, right, our, our guards start to come down. We can be led into watching something we don't want to watch. Maybe it's not even just being online too late at night. Maybe it's being up too late and not getting enough sleep. And when, when I am running low on sleep, that calm, wise, wise talk, it's kind of harder to come by, right? And I'm more brash. I'm more quick. I'm more hurtful in my words. Maybe it's, maybe it's a, a group of people. And you know, when I, when I hang out with them, as much as, as much as I'd like to, when I hang out with them, I know that the, the conversation is going to go in a direction I don't want it to be, I don't want to be a part of. The activities we do are something I don't want to be a part of, whatever that might be, right? Maybe it's knowing that that, that first drink is going to wind up being two and then five and then whatever. We need to be aware of the traps that can draw us away from godly wisdom. The second thing he says, the one who breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Don't break through many walls in Canmore, fortunately. Haven't been bitten by any snakes in Canmore. But again, remember, context here. Still today in Israel, many vineyards were surrounded by stone walls, a low stone wall. And so if a farmer wanted to expand his vineyard or, or needed to, to do something, they would have to move the stones. But the problem was, 
the cool of the stones attracted poisonous snakes to rest in their cracks. And so if you just went and haphazardly moved them, there was a significant chance that you would get bit and likely die. Rushing could cost your life. Verse 9. The one who quarries stones may be hurt by them. The one who splits logs may be endangered by them. These things are still dangerous work. Uh, a friend of mine on, on Facebook posted this week that uh, she's a, an arborist, and someone in the arborist community, I think out east, though, was killed doing the job. So people don't realize how dangerous working with trees is. And my my great-grandfather was killed in a logging accident. My grandpa was a little boy. It's, it's dangerous work. Moving stones and moving trees, it's dangerous work. And if you're, you're doing it on a hillside even, it even is, is kind of expanded that much more where if you're not careful, if you rush and you don't pay attention to what you're doing, if you don't use wisdom, there can be serious consequences when that rock rolls the way it's not supposed to go or the tree falls the direction it's not supposed to fall, right? Lacking wisdom can have serious consequences. But he continues and encourages us to use our God-given wisdom even in our day-to-day tasks. So we're not, we're not going to find life just out of that. We need the wisdom, but we have wisdom, and so let's use wisdom in our day-to-day tasks. Look at verse 10. If the axe is dull and one does not sharpen its edge, then one must exert more strength. However, the advantage of wisdom is that it brings success. You've probably heard this story. I'm going to attribute it to Abraham Lincoln. It might be another person who said this first. Forgive me, Abe, if it wasn't you. Who said, if I had an hour to cut down a tree, I'd spend 45 minutes sharpening the axe first. Right? Has, is, am I making that up and saying, has anyone else heard something like that? I got at least one yes. Okay. Where two agree, it's got to be right. Right? Two witnesses. There's something <laughs> about that. His point is, if we use wisdom and use the right tools and in the right way, things work better. I haven't done a ton of like knife work in my day. Uh, I've never worked in a restaurant. One of my brothers did, but, uh, but I haven't. But I know in the kitchen, a sharp knife will work better than a dull one. Even if I sharpened the same knife last time I used it, if I give it a few scrapes, no, it, it's going to cut better. It's going to work better. It's going to be actually safer. We, I can't remember how many times I was told by my parents and my grandpa too that a sharp knife is, is safer than a dull one. It's like, that can't be right. right? But, but no, a dull knife is more prone to slip. It's more prone to make a, a jagged cut that won't heal as well. So pay attention and use wisdom. Sharpen your knives. That's not the big idea of the sermon this morning, but it's an important side, side note. And so the call here is not to just lean on efficiency in the way that the world might put that in front of us, but it's our, our, our need for living is to lean on godly wisdom. It's be wise. Use his wisdom. The final example given is one that's handling a snake before it's charmed. I don't even like thinking about this example. I'm not going to lie. Snakes kind of give me the heebie-jeebies. There's a, there's a young man now that grew up in our youth group in Calgary who, I don't know what his deal is, but he just loves snakes, like loves them. And I, 
we know, uh, many of us know Ethan Denton, who's, you know, one of, you know, a, an excellent birder, and he's got this checklist of how many birds he's seen in Alberta over the years and, and his life, all these things. He's, it's a massive list. He's excellent. Well, this other guy kind of has a similar checklist of snakes that he's handled. It's like, man, you're, that's nuts. And I, I can't even click like on half of them because it's just like, and it's still already, I mean, it's, 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 March, right? And he's already got, oh, I found this snake here, and I found this snake here, and these pictures of him, like, pretending to kiss the snake. It's disgusting. The point is, even still in the East today, snake charming is a thing. But if, if, if you kind of haphazardly run towards a snake to pick it up, chances are you're going to get bit. And the consequences could be Severe. A snake charmer knows what he's dealing with. Darcy, I'm pretty sure he knows what he's dealing with when he walks in, he, when he goes looking for these things. If you, if you haphazardly rush through the process, through the task, that would, let me suggest that's unwise. Again, there's consequences. So let me ask you this as well. Fabulous mental picture. What snakes are in your life? What things are you kind of headed towards, but you're tempted to shortcut the way to get there? In my sort of sphere of, of ministry and leadership and these sorts of things, I often hear from the people I read and listen to and whatever, that the, the warning of, of not to shortcut character development in order to, to rush to a position of leadership or influence. And I think it it works for ministry. It works for probably so many areas of life. Don't shortcut character development on the way to influence. But we're so tempted, right? We see, we see the, the billboards. We see the, the Instagram followers. We see all the things. Like, if I can just get there. We want that finished product, whether it's the charmed snake that then we can move where it has to go. We'll get our picture trying to kiss it. Darcy, Ooh or just trying to take that next step in our lives. But if we short-circuit the development process, if we short-circuit the path of wisdom, then we're being foolish, and what we're building won't stand. And again, again this week, the news broke of a, of a pastor in the country that we probably all know who has resigned and will probably never lead a church again. I don't know that this was the case, but, but, but generally in these stories, somebody has shortcutted some character development or short-circuited putting you know, protections and boundaries around themselves because things grew too fast or they were growing too fast or they, they jumped into a position that their, their character just couldn't carry the weight of where they were. And again, that happens in churches. That happens, though, in companies. That happens in families. That happens in sports. It happens everywhere, right? And that's kind of the point of the last half of chapter 10, too. We've, we've seen how, how our strength doesn't come from the power structures in the world. The, the, the way to live, we can't be solely informed by our, our politics or our culture. We've seen how, how wisdom means taking care of our day-to-day -day walk as well and, 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 and making sure that we're walking towards wisdom. 
But this last chunk also talks about how the, the power we need for living, it doesn't just come from our day-to-day talk either. Once again, we're presented with another stark contrast in verse 12. This is chapter 10, verse 12. The words from the mouth of a wise person are gracious, but the lips of a fool consume him. If you're tracking with us through that Bible reading plan, the one-year Bible reading plan, we were started Luke this week, and, and uh, one of the chapters was Luke chapter 4. When Jesus walked into that synagogue in his hometown in Nazareth for the first time, preached his, his first sermon in Luke, do you remember what the reaction of the people was? Well, first, they, they were amazed, right? <laughs> By the end of the chapter, they were trying to throw him off a cliff, but but in Luke 4.22, we read that, that everyone was speaking well of him, and they were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. Once again, Jesus is our example. They were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. The words from the mouth of a wise person are gracious, but the lips of a fool consumes them. Instead of favor, the fool finds ruin. Proverbs 18.7 says that a fool's mouth is his devastation and his lips are a trap for his life. Our own words can get us into big, big trouble, especially these days in a social media, internet world. Look how the teacher continues in verse 13. The beginning of the words of his mouth are folly, but the end is speaking evil madness. And yet, the fool multiplies his words. Here, here's the thing about fools and their words, and sometimes me and my words. Sometimes we just keep digging. We realize we've, we've said something wrong, we've done something wrong, we, we've, we've spoken out of turn, and yet instead of just calling it out, owning it, repenting, and asking for forgiveness, we just keep, keep digging. Well, I didn't actually mean it like that, and they, did, they interpret it the wrong way, whatever it might be. Yet the fool multiplies words, even though their words are bringing ruin. And again, it's, it's probably easy for us to think about someone else who has this problem, right? But I know that there's been many times where I've been careless with words and just tried to keep digging to get myself out of the hole. The teacher continues saying that the, these foolish people, they just keep talking. They don't know what they're talking about, but they just keep talking. They even keep trying to, to talk about the future as if they can change the future with their words. But, but who knows the future? Not, not them, only God. And he continues in verse 15, the the struggles of the fools weary them. They tire themselves out by all their talk, and they don't even know how to go to the city. This is an expression that's saying they they don't even know the most basic things. They couldn't find themselves from McDonald's down the street to the church because they just don't know. They don't know what they're talking about. They're worn out from talking so much, and they're talking about things that they really don't know anything about. Sound familiar? This description of the fools and their babbling gives us good reason to pay attention to ourselves and to use wisdom in our daily talk. We're we're not just going to, to, to talk ourselves into an abundant life or the life that God wants for us. We need his wisdom for that. Now, some of us, we love to be a part of every conversation. I, I, got, I got two cents to put in everywhere, some of us, right? We, we always feel like we have something to say, and it's important that everybody hears us when we say it. 
And social media and Google have done nothing to help us in this regard because we're so tempted to click a couple of links, which Google has chosen for us to see the same kinds of links, and then declare our stance to the world with ultimate authority. Well, I read a blog post, so... The death of expertise is an animal that is alive and well in our day. I suspect many of us have seen the cartoon where someone's sitting at a computer and they're, they're, they're clicking through and they, and they say, hey, my, my buddy who never finished high school is now advising the CDC on, on the next steps they should take. And then the next week it's, hey, my buddy who last week was advising the CDC, now he knows global politics and he's got a solution. I just, just love to be a part of the conversation. I had a, had a good friend, um, we're still friends, uh, had a good friend who often joked, he, he uh, went to Trinity Western, uh, he got his undergrad in biblical studies. So he would often kind of, mostly joke, I think, kind of insert himself into conversations, and he would say, well, listen, I've got my BA in BS, and so that gives me the right to talk about anything. I think he's usually joking. <laughs> but he did like to talk about everything. We'd love to be a part of the conversation, but we need to be calm in our thoughts, right? Verse chapter 9, 17. Calm in our thoughts and wise in our words. The, the, the power we need for living, the, the strength for life, will not come from our many words but from godly wisdom. These last few verses, as we, as we come to an end of the chapter here, the last few verses kind of seemingly put us back in the political realm. It talks about a king and princes and these sorts of things. But I think, and again, check me on this, I think that the principles that, that in this passage that are describing kind of the fate of the nation can also apply to a community, maybe a workplace, a church, family, and an individual. See, see if you agree. Verse 16. It says, Woe to you, land, when your king is a youth and your princes feast in the morning. Now, he's not saying that young people can't lead, but it's more that, that those who are lacking wisdom are thrust into power or a position of leadership. Trouble will follow. The lack of leadership or the lack of wisdom is the problem. And, he's, and, and there is a time for feasting. It's just not usually the morning. When Solomon was installed as king of Israel, do you remember uh, he was a child? And remember what he prayed. We can flip back to 1 Kings chapter 3, where he prayed, Lord my God, you have now made your servant king in my father David's place. Yet I'm just a youth with no experience in leadership. Another translation translates the end of that and says, I'm a little child. I don't know how to go out or come in, which sounds a lot like, I'm a little child. I don't even know the way to the city, which he's just written about here, right? I, I, I'm, I'm foolish. At least he cries out to God for help, right? Skip down to verse 9. He says, so give your servant a receptive heart to judge and govern your people and to discern between good and evil. That's a prayer for wisdom. He recognized his potential for folly, being young, and called out for wisdom. 
the problem with unwise leadership is that it trickles down through the organization, through the nation, through the company, through the church, through the family, and through the self. When I talk about feasting in the morning, that meant, to, meant that the princes who were under leadership of this unwise, youthful, unwise king, they were acting selfishly and foolishly. You had access to all these things. You know, we're going to eat and drink and be merry starting from the beginning of the day right to the end of the day. And we would, as we keep reading the chapter, see the consequences of their neglect of others. Like the roofs sag and leak. But look at verse 17. It says, blessed are you, land. Again, and I, and I, th- I think, and say, blessed are you, company, church, family, individual. Blessed are you when your king is a son of nobles, when there's wisdom there, and your princes feast at the proper time. There's, there's order, there's structure, there is a time to feast, and there's a reason to feast. It says when they, when they feast for strength and not for drunkenness. We need to, we need to eat. The princes need to eat. The, the, the nation needs to eat, but there's a, there's a time and a reason. We eat for, for the strength to do what we have to do, not for drunkenness, not for gluttony, but there's when there's godly wisdom at the helm, whether it's the king is a son of nobles, there's wisdom. That's the language of having wisdom. The people flourish. Again, it's not just the nation. It's, it's the organization. It's the church. It's the family. And so can I humbly ask that you pray for our leaders, for me? Because I, I think it's really... I, I'll s- speak for myself, but I think the elders, other elders would agree. I, I want to be led by godly wisdom, but I, I know there are traps. I know that there are snakes that I'm tempted to not charm all the way and deal with. I, I know that there is folly all around me and the tendency for whatever, the brash word, the whatever it is. So please, again, I humbly ask that you pray for me and for us, that we would lead well with godly wisdom. The last thing here, um, the temptation for us, when we see somebody who is foolish in a place of leadership, the temptation is to, verse 20 says, curse the king. The temptation of, of, of watching someone, whether it's, it's a prime minister, whether it's a, a premier, a mayor, a pastor, a, a business owner, whatever else. The temptation when you say, Man, I could do a better job than them. What are they thinking? The temptation is to, to curse the king, to, to call them out. But the teacher says, don't even think about that. Don't even think about doing that because a bird of the air will carry your voice and get you into trouble. We might say something like, you know, a little birdie told me this. And I've got to deal with it. Or, or the walls have ears. Uh, I was talking with Steve after the first service, and, and he reminded me of this. Again, there's another meme that I said, you know what, I'm not, I'm not, um, not going to get an Alexa or a Google Home for my house because uh, Google's listening to me. And my wife laughed, and Siri laughed, and Alexa laughed. There's, 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 the internet is listening, right? Like, this is not a, that's not the conversation here, but. Fortunately, we still largely have the freedom to say whatever we want here. It's not to say there aren't consequences. 
But I think, and I wonder, again, you're invited to push back, challenge me on this. I think this verse is talking about more than just getting caught saying something bad about the king. Because if you're thinking about, again, think of all the range of here. If you're thinking about cursing the king, if you're thinking about complaining about a leader, if you're thinking about uh, complaining about your spouse or your boss or even a certain part of yourself, I guess, what's going on in your heart? Because again, it's out of the heart that the mouth speaks. When I, this never happens, when I complain about my spouse, what's, what's growing in here that leads to that? I'm pretty sure it's the Gottman group, so John Gottman, um, kind of marriage counselors, who said they can sit down with, with a, a new married couple and they can tell with something like ridiculous, 95% accuracy, whether that marriage will make it in five minutes. Because they can look at and, and, and pick up on and see contempt in the people's hearts. And if that's there, that's a big, 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 big problem. And so when I'm sitting in my house, even in the privacy of my house, and I'm cursing out our leaders, whether it's the prime minister, whether it's the premier, the mayor, whoever, right? What's in my heart? It's nothing that you're going to find in the fruit of the spirit. It's this contempt, and we need to, we need to deal with that. So I think this verse is even another tie-in, another encouragement to guard your heart watch your steps even as you approach the house of the Lord as we talked about last week, right? There are a lot of things, a lot of things that you and I are tempted every single day to put our hope and trust in to give us life. And we we all want life. We all want meaning. We all want purpose. That's built into us. And we can look to our leaders, we can look to our culture, we can look to our work, we can look to our words, we can look to so many things, but none of those things ultimately have the power to give us life. It's only in godly wisdom that we can find that. And so we need to to strive for godly wisdom. Remember, we've said it's a skill. It's the skill of living a God-honoring life. That's what wisdom is, and so we, we, we work for that. We're not saved by our works, but we need to put effort in to grow this skill, right? It's like a muscle. We need to work it out to grow it. We, we pursue wisdom. We work at it. We investigate it. We investigate and look at where we're going. And are we, are we headed towards wisdom or are we looking to walk into one of those traps we've set? And we find this encouragement elsewhere in the Bible too. Psalm 90 verse 12, teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Proverbs 3.18, so much of Proverbs talks about pursuing wisdom, but Proverbs 3.18 says that, that she, that, that wisdom personified in this verse, is a tree of life, and those who embrace her, which I don't think is a passive thing, right? Embracing isn't passive. And those who hold on to her, to wisdom, are happy, are blessed. Paul says in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 5, pay careful attention then how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Pursue godly wisdom. Of course, our perfect example of this is Jesus. 
He used wisdom to guard and guide his steps. We see this everywhere in the gospel. I was reminded yesterday that in, in John, we even see Jesus saying, the only things I do, all that I'm doing is things I see the Father do. The only steps I'm taking, the only actions I'm doing, the only whatever it is, it's all because I see God doing it. He's acting out of godly wisdom. And he warns his followers about upcoming persecution, but he promises his followers, this is for us too, in Luke 21, I will, I will give you such words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. What we need for an abundant life is to follow Jesus' example and thus be filled with godly wisdom. In just a minute, I'm, I'm going to pray. And maybe this morning, we need to recommit to following Jesus and his wisdom. Maybe this morning, as we've, we've talked about traps and moving walls and charming snakes and one bad apple spoils a whole bag, the Holy Spirit's been stirring up things in your heart that's like, I, I, I don't think that's wise. I need to deal with it. And so let me pray for us that we'd be a people filled with godly wisdom. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this text. Thank you that uh, words that were written thousands of years ago still speak right to the heart of what we experience today. Jesus, thank you that you came as our perfect example of godly wisdom. You showed us how to rightly relate to the Father, to one another, to creation itself. And I ask that as, as we wrestle with our own life and, and striving and, and trying to get the most out of life, to find the abundant life you promised, that you would point at things in our heart that we need to own, repent of, hand over to you, and turn back to you. Help us not to be like the fool that just keeps digging a hole by running his mouth. Help us not put all our attention into our day-to-day -day work as though that will give us life. Help us not put our trust and our hope in this cultural moment. But let us put it in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.